Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Cabin Devils. Today is Friday, the 27th of August, and uh, it's great to be with you guys. I hope that your day has been great. If your day has been good, give me a thumbs up. Give me a thumbs up. If your day has been bad, give me a thumbs down. And by definition of bad is it did not go exactly how you planned it to go. Um, and we may mourn with you. We may celebrate with you. And we would like to know, this is Cabin Devils, where we come to grow together. Thank you so much, Peterson. Uh, someone just put a question mark. Hey, Kato Victor, what's up? How have you been? Ella Chirabo, you are welcome. You have been lost. It's great to see you. Florence, thank you so much for being here as well. Katie, all the way from Florida. And we are also joined by Dr. John uh, one more time. And uh, it's, it's interesting how um, God's word is alive. Yeah, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing through bone and marrow and dividing every intent of the heart. I was talking to a friend today. We went out jogging and uh, I was telling him, you know, one of the things that has really, really helped me uh, go through these turbulent moments uh, that we've had in the last one year. By the way, we made a year of Cabin Devils. We should have celebrated with a cake. But it's been our time together every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You guys don't believe that even when I'm preparing for the show, when I'm listening to uh, gentlemen like uh, like John and uh, and uh, several others, it's, it's encouraging. My day becomes all of a sudden great, especially when you want to obey the scriptures that talk about as you lie down, meditate on these things. So it's it's been encouraging. Um, I'm glad that uh, you guys ha- also find this valuable. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. We are coming to part three of our series today as we look at the soul that loves and glorifies God. Dr. John, today uh, we want to thank you so much uh, for joining us, not just for tonight, but for the last uh, two days. And uh, one of the things our listeners, Dr. John, needs to understand is the value of what they are getting uh, tonight. And I have a random question uh, for you here. How much do you charge per hour, Dr. John, for consultation at your heart clinic in Florida, and you just spend an hour with us, um, two hours in the past uh, this week and another hour today. But just to get a glimpse of how valuable this show is tonight, how much do you charge uh, per hour, Dr. John? Do you like, would you like to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, you know, for you, it's always free, my friend. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, our charges in our office for for our for my services are are about six or seven hundred dollars in an hour, but uh, but it's perfectly free for you anytime. No way, seven hundred. Let me do some quick math here, and uh, I'll let the listeners know how valuable this show is. I mean, I'm sure they can do the math. Seven hundred dollars per hour times three hundred. And six fifty on a good day for a dollar is, ladies and gentlemen, two point five and fifty five thousand. With two point five, hey man, that's 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 a lot. That's a lot. And so, guys, thank you, thank you so much uh, for uh, for being here. But I'm, I'm really, really, really thankful uh, to Dr. John for spending this hour with us. And uh, I would like to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, that. Uh, one, like our slogan says, we bring you the best uh, from all over the world and we strive at getting better every day. 
And I'll be announcing some great products that will be coming up very soon. The vision is really big, and I'm glad that you guys are a part of it. Uh, your presence tonight means a lot to me. And so thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, being here. Dr. John, I just want um, us tonight, before we uh, can get into our message or what you have prepared for us, I, I would like to encourage us all uh, here that uh, that may have been crushed, like the poster that I sent out today with the waves crashing onto the stairs, a soul that could have been crushed either by someone's words or actions or, or an event in the past. And, and they usually say, I actually do not know who came up with this word, but it's, it's a very ancient saying. They usually say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. But each one of us listening here tonight will know that that's not true. Words can crush souls. Now, Tim Keller, like I posted today on the on the poster, says no one that has been saved by grace should ever look at another with superiority. And, and, and that's, that's to say no one should ever say I'm better than you. And, and you know, one of the things is it starts with an attitude, but eventually it becomes actions and actions these actions may destroy. And you know, I was thinking about this even some more as I was out uh, running. And people have committed suicide over what someone has said. Uh, people have become depressed over what someone has said. People have become bitter and angry and uh, almost to the point of, of wanting to not to be alive anymore over what someone has said. And I was just thinking about it. If someone took their life over what I said, I want to say that that's equivalent to, to murder, especially if I had the intent to, to hurt them. That even today's law is very mild. I would say the word mild because I've had um, several other laws coming up. Even here in Africa, I've had one in Kenya that protects against defamation or social media abuse or verbal abuse and something like that. But it's interesting how words can actually destroy another. But Dr. John, how does the understanding that all souls are created equal help with what we say to another? Especially following that statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. And knowing it's famous, it's a common saying, not entirely true, but how does our understanding that all souls are created equal help um, in what we say to one another? Would you like to react to that, Dr. John, before we get started? Uh, sure, David. I think that, um, and it's similar to the answer that we talked about when we asked about the abortion question on Wednesday, uh, all human souls bear the image of God. So in that sense, we're all equal. Now, some souls are redeemed by the blood of mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. and we praise God for that. Uh, but some souls are not redeemed uh, yet. And in that case, we who are redeemed have a greater responsibility to speak words that help them to see the image of God in us. So in that way, uh, those souls can see God in us and in our lives. And, and it, the, the thought comes to my mind that Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this, he says, defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, 
adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Jesus said, these are what defile a person. And he also said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And so I think that we have to understand that it's really the heart, the deepest part of one human being that, that crushes a soul, uh, another human being. And, and then the other thought that I have is, as I was preparing for today, and, and, and I've had a friend uh, recently kind of help me to read and understand Psalm 131. And this is where David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so this, this just emphasizes how with our souls, we can, we can kind of quiet ourselves and, and really understand how our words do impact others and then try to use our words uh, for edification, for building up, for glorifying God. So it all gets to kind of what we're talking about today. We want to glorify and edify others, our God. We want to edify others. We want to use our words uh, for, for building up and, and not tearing down. Hmm. You, you did bring out, yes, a couple of verses, and sometimes they, they, they are coupled together. But one of the other ones that just came to mind is uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I, I do not know if you have done an intensive study when it talks about the abundance of the heart. And I think it goes back to protecting our hearts because out of them come uh, the list that you, you just read for us, immorality and ETC. And when, when you're speaking, it just occurred to me that all of the things that we say really come from within and they're deep-seated. And we need to replace that seat uh, right there. Maybe the, 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 the foundation of our thoughts, we need to replace it with something good and then something good will come out, and something good will come out. And maybe in the next question, Dr. John, you can give us some of the examples of words or statements that you have had that have encouraged your soul, and I'm sure uh, you have been vulnerable at some point to being crushed, um, and your soul being crushed. But if someone is here with us tonight and uh, they feel crushed to the core, uh, what do they need to understand for them to know that there is power over what another may say to us? Uh, because I also do not want you to believe that if someone says something about me that is negative, that that's it. Uh, but yeah, what, what do they need to understand? And it is usually people that are close to us, that hurt us with their speech. I love to give the example that you may not understand, Dr. John, of a conductor. Of, uh, we do have what we call taxis here is a van that carries 14 passengers and usually if you use those taxis they're called matatu in kenya um there's usually an exchange between the guy the conductor who's collecting the monies 
especially with a fare, if he's trying to cheat you or if the passenger is trying uh, to cheat uh, the conductor. But you almost cannot go a week without an intensive exchange of words uh, between the conductor and the, and the passenger. But I love to say that usually the words that the conductor may say to you may not dig deeper uh, into hurting us for over a long period of time. Um, but the words that your brother or your fellow believer who you know says, those ones, they really, really hurt. It's usually the people who are close to us. But if someone is here, they've been hurt either by a close friend and they feel down and depressed, what do they need to know? And, and I want to take a, a wild guess here and say that I believe in that answer that forgiveness has a lot to do with it. But what's your take, uh, Dr. John, to someone who may be crushed right now? Oh, I'd say good uh, forgiveness has a lot to do with it. And I would say with regard to forgiveness and particularly with words that hurt, I would say knowing that we cannot control uh, the words that another person speaks and we can't control another person's feelings uh, or thoughts or actions, uh, we are responsible for our, our own words and our own thoughts and our own actions. And I think oftentimes when we, when we have these uh, exchanges, like you described, uh, it's our emotions that are driving those. And, and I know I mentioned to you the other day that uh, the soul is the whole. I think that's the, the theme of this week is the soul as the whole. But the second aspect of that is that the emotions are the fuel that drive the soul. And a lot of times when we get words going back and forth and, and words that hurt, I think uh, often those words come because emotions well up within us and we don't know how to respond. And so we start saying things. Um, my home fellowship uh, last night, we talked about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and the result of the fruit that they ate because the fruit that they ate was the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of good and evil. So words can come out and words can be good and words can be evil. And so we know that uh, when this happens, forgiveness is necessary. But I would say one other aspect that's, that's probably a, a deeper part of that, and that is uh, love. Uh, we talked about the, the new uh, covenant that, that starts with a new heart transplant, and we'll talk a little more about that today. But in John 13, 34 and 5, when Jesus said, a new command, I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and love builds up. It doesn't tear down. Love forgives. Uh, you know, Peter learned this lesson the hard way. He had seen and experienced Jesus's love firsthand. And then we know that when Peter was tested, in the night of Jesus's uh, betrayal and arrest that Peter denied. Um, but because of Jesus's love, Peter 
was reinstated. And then uh, I taught a couple of months ago, First uh, Peter, and it just, the, the words ring in my mind because um, Peter says in First Peter 1.22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. And, he, and, he, and then in the end of that letter, he, he reiterates, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, love one another fervently, since love covers a multitude of sins. And, and to me, I'd say that that's the real answer. When souls are crashed, love is the answer. Amen. Uh, love one another, for this they will know you're my disciples if you have one love for another. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much uh, for that. I was reminded of uh, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, I'm sure most of us here have memorized it. So then, my brethren, let every man be slow. Other versions say swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Look at that. There is our word for tonight which is able to save uh, your souls. And you know, I was thinking about this just right now and I'm thinking, you know, when we fail to forgive, we are actually simply looking at another with superiority. They should have never done that. I am better than them. And so we failed to forgive. But you know, at the cross, we receive grace. And that grace is from God to us, to others. From God to us and to others. Borrowing the words of Ray Preachard. God's grace from God to us, to others. And that's why tonight I'd like to play for us this song, Grace Wins All the Time by Matthew West as we get ready to get into our portion for tonight. Matthew West, grace wins all the time. Enjoy the song and Dr. John will be joining us after to share God's word. In my weakest moment I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Cause grace could never reach that far But in the shadow of that shame
David, oh wow, uh, that Matthew West song, and just uh, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, Grace wins, yeah, that's an awesome um, uh, thought. And and David, when you sent out the uh, the the Keller quote earlier today, uh, it's it's ironic. In my quiet time in Oswald Chambers this morning, uh, it was all kind of meeting together. And so uh, Keller's statement, no one that's truly saved by grace will look at another with superiority. Oswald Chambers writing over a hundred years ago says this, the most difficult person to deal with is the one who has the prideful self-satisfaction of a past experience, but is not working that experience out in his everyday life. If you say you are sanctified, show it. The experience must be so genuine that it shows in your life. Beware of any belief that makes you self-indulgent or self-gratifying. That belief came from the pit of hell itself, regardless of how beautiful it may sound. Your theology must work itself out, exhibiting itself in your most common everyday relationships. Our Lord said, unless your righteousness exceeds 
the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you must be more moral than the most moral person you know. You may know all about the doctrine of sanctification, but are you working it out in the everyday issues of your life? Every detail of your life, whether physical, moral, or spiritual, is to be judged and measured by the standard of the atonement by the cross of Christ. And to me, I, I, I just, uh, I, I love that because what Oswald was talking about, which is what Tim Keller is talking about, if what is deep in your heart, what is at your core of your being, if, if that is the atonement of the cross of Christ, then your entire being, your soul, your, your physical, moral, spiritual, even emotional being should be declaring the glory of God. And it should be doing it in a way that isn't drawing attention to you. It should be doing it in a way that draws attention to God. So in my quiet time, too, I pulled up this additional scripture from Philippians 2, where Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him highly and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as we hit this kind of final uh, installment this week, we're going to talk about the soul that loves and glorifies God. Jesus Christ was the embodiment of that soul who loves God completely and glorified God completely. So if this, as you uh, are a listener, if you're here for the first time this week on Monday, we talked about discovering our soul. That is that the soul is the whole. The soul is all of you. It's your heart, your spirit, your mind, your flesh, your brain, your body, your emotions, everything about you, everything that constitutes you is part of your soul. And then Wednesday, we talked about the Holy Spirit and the perfection of your soul. The Holy Spirit's job is to transform you, to perfect you, to sanctify you, to make you holy like God is holy. And we've talked about in the past that that starts with a heart transplant. In your old state, before you knew God, you had a stony hard, darkened heart that was darkened by sin, and that heart was removed and replaced by a heart that sees and knows God and can be moved 
to do God's will. And uh, that's in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, 31, 33, and then also in Ezekiel 36, 26. We call that new birth many things. It can be called the new covenant. It can be called being born again. It can be called regeneration or salvation or redemption. Those are all words that can be used to describe it. But what it is, is a new life in Christ that is yours immediately after the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He will never leave you, and he may make your life very uncomfortable, but his job is to perfect you and make you holy as he, the Spirit, is holy. So it's he who is in you that is the start of this soul that loves and glorifies God. And so today, what I wanted to do is to focus on a few passages, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll save some time at the end for questions. So if you have questions and you're thinking about that now, uh, this is a good time uh, to, to enter those. In John 6, 63, Jesus is talking, and, and this is early on in his ministry, he says this, it's the spirit that gives life the flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus, the living word, is giving us his words. And now we have those words written in the gospels that are life. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so what Jesus is talking about is that the soul who is yoked to him, the gentle, humble servant king, that in that relationship that we have with him, we will have rest. We will have peace we will have shalom because we're with God, we're in the right relationship with God. And David, when I spoke with your group in May, I referenced Jesus's famous parable of the sower, emphasizing that the seed that Jesus just talked about is his words. His word, the word of God is planted in the heart, the center of our being. But the growth that occurs is manifested in the entire individual. So as I read this, I want you to think about how where the seed is planted into the soil, that is then going to affect the entire being, all of us. Luke 8, 9 through 15 says this, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the paths are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock 
are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So this is the whole parable. The good and and pure heart are those who bear fruit with patience. And then the question comes, what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? I believe the fruit that Jesus is talking about is a soul that loves and glorifies God. In John 15, Jesus says this in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And there is the theme again of love. Jesus came looking for the sinner, not the righteous. He sought out the sinner, not to condemn but to save. The sinner understands that he needs a savior. The righteous does not. The sinner has one defining characteristic, sin. That's why they're called a sinner. And that is the one and only qualification required to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You must be a sinner to be invited to have a relationship with Jesus. So where that relationship starts and then where it comes through the abiding Holy Spirit that then helps us to produce fruit and glorify God comes to its pinnacle effect in where Jesus talks in John 17. He says this, now I'm coming to you And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy be fulfilled in themselves. Jesus says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them 
from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And I think this is where I want to stop for just a moment. We'll finish this slight passage. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus is saying that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, his original disciples, the 12, and then all of us who through centuries have believed in Jesus because of their testimony and because of the Gospels, we have continued in faith to believe that what Jesus came to do and what he came to teach and what he came to represent God's love, we have understood that, we have taken that into our heart, and now we are one just as Jesus was one with his disciples and they are one with the Father. In verse 24, of chapter 17, he concludes this way, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And through this, what Jesus is saying is, this is the mystery. God, through that seed in our hearts, is transforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And literally when we lay our lives down, when we get up in the morning and we consecrate ourselves and we say, Lord, I don't live today. You now live in and through me. Then Jesus Christ himself through his spirit will be glorifying God as he loves others, those around us, as he loves God the Father uh, in heaven. And this is one of these beautiful um, passages where we get a glimpse into what God really meant when he said, I'm going to create men and women 
who bear my image, not just a, a passing kind of a distant likeness, but men and women who will bear the actual spirit of God, the spirit that was on Jesus Christ and in him as he went out and ministered and, and taught and preached and performed many miracles. That exact spirit is the one that, he, that we have in us. When Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And what Paul is sharing is if, if Christ is able to be displayed in Paul's life, the chief of sinners, Christ is able to be displayed in my life and in your life and in anyone's life who comes to God. Two more passages I'd just like to, to leave with you when we talk about this, because when the Spirit is in us, we have the full nature of God dwelling within. He does not need, we don't need to get more of God. We need to display less of ourselves, less of our flesh. And hopefully David will invite me back to, to kind of explain how some of these other aspects of our lives work. But with regard to our spirit, Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit and the final passage that i want to encourage you with today is hebrews 12 where paul says therefore 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So brothers and sisters, the soul that loves and glorifies God is Jesus in you and Jesus in me. It's as we are able to die to ourselves, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, and to then put on Christ, to display Christ in this world. That is the soul that loves and glorifies God. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. John. It's, it's been great. And uh, one of the things I did note down here uh, concerning the soul that glorifies God, <clears throat> one of the things you did mention and emphasize uh, is the fact that all of this is actually rooted in us abiding uh, with Christ. Um, it, it's clear from the scriptures that we cannot do this alone. Um, uh, we know this, but sometimes we quickly forget. Um, and uh, one of the things you did mention, even at the beginning, was what you are reading for your devotions. And I personally believe that uh, it's important for us to have daily devotions because devotions are a quick reminder, uh, the quick daily reminder of this truth that we can quickly uh, forget. Now, everything that the Father is and has been doing through eternity past, when I think about it, and uh, even in eternity future, is to reconcile us to himself uh, through his Son, uh, Jesus Christ, as we looked at this on Monday and Wednesday, things fell apart in chapter 3 of Genesis uh, when this that God has created in his own image uh, got in a way marred uh, by that. The that here is sin. And it's interesting how he's promised a savior starting all the way from Genesis. He's promised a savior. And uh, New Testament, we come, we see him. He's been prophesied about by Isaiah and the other prophets that he will come. And today we can almost repeat the words of Paul when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I pray and hope that uh, if anyone here is listening and that is not true of you, that tonight you would pray and ask God to save you and make you his child because that's where, that's where the foundation is uh, in us glorifying God. We do have a question from JJ, uh, Dr. John, who is asking, I think you can see the question in the chat. He says, are we still abiding in Christ when we sin? And does sin have an impact that affects, affects uh, those who have been saved in a way that one isn't abiding in Christ though they are saved. And uh, I think he's picking this from, my, again, the passage in John, I think 17, uh, 17. But please go ahead and answer JJ's question that is in the chat. And if you have any more questions, ladies and gentlemen, please post them in the chat and we'll have Dr. John answer them. Dr. John. Yes, very good question, JJ. Are we still abiding in Christ when we sin? No. 
Um, we are acting out of our free will choice. And uh, hopefully, uh, David will invite me back in a couple, in a month or so, and I'll talk to you a little bit about the where the battle takes place, and that is in our mind. Uh, if you keep if you uh, keep in mind what Jesus, uh, when he was asked about the the great uh, commandment, uh, you know what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your." mind and the and the and where the the breakdown occurs in human beings when they sin is in the mind uh we we have thoughts and those thoughts uh uh can be good godly holy righteous uh but occasionally uh those thoughts turn to sinful thoughts and when temptation comes uh then those thoughts uh consider what um could happen that would gratify our flesh. And that's where the kind of the rub comes in. So, so when we start thinking thoughts and planning actions that aren't in accord with the Holy Spirit, then we're walking in the flesh. And as, as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, uh, if we do those deeds of the flesh, we're not walking in the Spirit. Now, it, it's, you know, God fully well knows that he has set us up in this way where we have free will choices uh, in our lives. So we've got the option to, uh, to choose God or we have the option to sin. And uh, we know from 1 John 1 that we sin. Uh, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the question is, what do we do when we sin? And the answer is, we confess, we repent, we, we have a way to handle and deal with sin. And then that restores the abiding relationship that we have with Christ. And in fact, I think in 1 John, uh, he even talks about how you know, that restores or maintains the abiding relationship with Jesus. It's not that that sin makes it irreparably broken. It's just that when we sin, if we do like uh, Adam and Eve and we try to cover our sin and hide and all these other things, that will break our, our uh, relationship with God and continue to break it. But if we see and you know, see our sin, we, we recognize it and we confess it and we repent, uh, then we come back into a state of abiding in Christ. Very good question. Amen. Thank you. Um, I, sorry about the misquotation that I just gave you. It's not John 15, 17, it's John 17. I mean, 15, sorry, not 17. But Dr. John, um, I don't know if verse 10 helps um, in answering that question. And uh, this is not something I've really studied so much to be able to answer JJ's question. But if you look at verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my life, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I don't know if verse 10 tries to throw some light to that question, but it's a very, very good 
question, difficult to answer. And of course, this is not what JJ is asking, but many have asked, and it's been a debate among theologians on whether one ceases to be a child of God uh, because of sin. Um, and, and I know that's what Rod is asking, but it's it's quite interesting that many have uh, battled with that. But I don't know if verse 10 helps or it's a misfire completely. What do you think, Dr. John? So I think we can look at Jesus as the human soul who was abiding in a relationship with the Father 100% of the time. So Jesus himself never struggled with this abiding relationship with his father. He was filled with the spirit at his baptism and Jesus was abiding constantly. Um, There's no way that we can maintain that standard. We are sons and daughters of God as soon as the heart transplant takes place. And we never, you, you can not be disowned. God will not disown you as soon as you are, are born again and his son or his daughter. So the abiding or lack of abiding does nothing to your sonship or daughtership. You, you, you are in the family. And even if you sin and walk far away from God, uh, he doesn't disown you. And so I think that's, it shouldn't be a matter of, of debate uh, theologically. I do think that sin impacts us. And, and I read yet, uh, Wednesday from uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Romans in Romans 6, where he asks the question, shall we sin all the more, you know, that grace may increase? So in other words, since we know we're not going to be out of God's family because we stand in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus did, not what we do. So once we're in we have no way that we can lose our sonship or daughtership now. But, but I'd say in the, the flip side of the coin is we can act like a child who doesn't respect uh, their father and who doesn't honor or respect his, um, you know, his, our brothers and sisters, each other. And I think that's where it comes in. Abiding is something that we do individually, but then also corporately. We, we work together to abide in the love of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I would like to speak to someone here as we come to the end of our show that if you would like to uh, pray and receive Christ as your Savior, so you may abide in the vine and you may need guidance on that, please send me an email at campinthecloud at icloud.com. I just posted that email right there, and I'll find a way to buzz you, give you a call, whether on WhatsApp or or Facebook, uh, so we can be able to pray together. But if you're unable to do any of that, please do not let the sun go down or come up um, before uh, you can be able to make that decision. I'd like you to do that now. And uh, it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. It's only a choice you have to make to believe that Christ died on the cross for you and that he is the son of God that died for you. And all you have to do is pray and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And just say, Lord, I believe and trust that you are the son of God. Please save me today and make me your child. I would like to be your child today. And uh, 
it's it's as simple as that. Don't postpone that decision. You can make it uh, tonight. But thank you so much, guys, for coming. Thank you, Gibson, um, for choosing to be a part of this as well. Uh, JJ, thank you. Beautiful questions there uh, that uh, you're asking. Uh, Florence, if you're still here, thank you. Thank you so much. You do have Rose Bra 21. And uh, there's a friend of mine who showed up at some point. Uh, he's been lost. I don't know who you are, but uh, I can recognize that name. It's PBG23B58D48D8. And it's been a long time, but again, great to have you. And of course, we do have MK Odongo. Thank you so much, Charles. Glad that you guys are here. And Andrew, glad to see you. Thank you. And thank you so much. It's 10 o'clock. And we'd like to end our show. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.